Our reading is Ephesians 6, verses 13 to 18. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness of that that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Thanks be to God. Um, around 10 years ago, um, my wife um, was cycling, as was her habit, and her front wheel, the front wheel of her bicycle, hit a hole in the road. And she was propelled over the handlebars and landed on her face. Um, first I knew of it was when the hospital phoned me because she couldn't speak. And um, so I rushed to the hospital and it was a time of quite a lot of stress, as you can imagine. Now, I don't remember a whole load about um, that time uh, the, in terms of details. I remember a lot about the, the weeks afterwards. Um, but I do remember one thing that the, um, one of the, I, I'm pretty sure I remember one of the doctors saying to me that um, she was lucky to have survived, uh, partly because of her resilient nature, we all know about that, um, but partly also because she was wearing a bike helmet. Now I was reminded of that a few months ago as I went and visited a member of our congregation who will remain nameless. And um, I, uh, I had to rush there, I was slightly late and I went by bike and I forgot my helmet. And as I arrived to, to, to visit this person, I was greeted not with a great, oh, how wonderful to see the vicar, but a, why were you not wearing your helmet? And that is the question that has stayed with me. Now, today in our series on the pieces of armor that God gives us to enable us as Christians to stand firm, Paul comes to the helmet the helmet of salvation. He's already looked at different elements of the Roman um, armor that he's, he's no doubt in prison and he's got a Roman soldier there standing by him and he's thinking about the struggles that we face in life. And he's using this, the, the armor of the, of the soldier to inspire him. And so he talks about the belt and he says, yes, the Christian must have the belt of truth around him. What gathers you up, that's who you are and what God says. Then you've got to have the breastplate of righteousness. You need to know that you're not good because you are good. You're good because God says that you're right and good. In his eyes, he gives you that as a gift. And then we looked at the shoes, the shoes that are given for the gospel of peace. And then we looked last week at the, at the shield of faith, which is actually the shield of God's faithfulness that protects us. But then Paul comes to the helmet. Now, no Roman soldier would ever have even contemplated going into battle without a helmet. The helmet protects your head, your vital 
organs, the, 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 the heart of your thinking. The helmet protects your mind. The helmet in some ways is the most important piece of armor because it covers the most critical part of your anatomy. Without a, a, without a helmet, the soldier is fundamentally vulnerable. If the soldier is hit in the head, the battle is lost. And Paul is being inspired by this picture of a, of a human soldier to talk about the Christian life. And he talks about the helmet of salvation as a key piece in the armor that God gives us because the helmet protects the mind. And the mind is where spiritual battles are won or lost. The mind. Now, the brain is an amazingly complex thing, an extraordinary sort of chemical, electrical marvel, weighing less than one and a half kilos, and yet capable of, uh, with its billions of cells, of performing incredibly complex tasks, generating, receiving, transmitting energy. Scientists have estimated that after 70 years of activity, an average brain may contain 15 trillion separate pieces of information. Thousands and thousands of thoughts can pass through your brain every day. And apparently the brain doesn't even get tired. It's amazing. But the question is, what do we do with our mind? How do we channel our thoughts? So the question I want to ask us all today is, how do you think? How does your mind work? Does your mind work for you or against you? Or perhaps even more fundamentally, for God or against him? Because you see, our thoughts develop into patterns. And patterns become habits. And habits orientate your life. It's like plowing a field. Just imagine, you're there, and the first time you plow the field, the first time you, you sort of plow that furrow, it's jolly hard work. But the second time, it's a little easier because you've already been there before. The third time, easier still, until you get to the point where your, your tractor or whatever machine you're using almost follows automatically because you have plowed that furrow. And so it is with our minds. That's why in the Christian tradition, positive habits of the mind have always been really important. We don't just follow God by floating along. We do it by choosing. We choose positive habits. Christian tradition talks about disciplines, like reading the Bible every day, training yourself to think with biblical logic, or praying regularly, or fasting, or being silent, and taking time to step back and reflect. Those are Christian disciplines and they form our minds because practices create habits and habits shape our minds. The Christian battle starts in the mind. With the mind, you orientate your whole life. Now, Satan knows that. 
which is why in the spiritual battle, Satan will try and influence your mind. He knows very well that, if, that he can control your mind, and if he controls your mind, he will influence your behavior. And he's clever. He doesn't come in like a bull in a china shop, because then we'd recognize him and we'd resist. But he infiltrates like a slithering snake, and he infiltrates our thinking. Now, here's the thing, okay? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, that all those who turn to Jesus Christ become a new creation. We're new. But the problem is that the old thought patterns, very often we have worked on those for years and they have created furrows in our mind. And what Satan will try and do is he will try and exploit those furrows. He'll try and distract us with a thought and if we're not creating Christian Christ-like furrows, then in a moment of inattention, our minds are going to go back to the old patterns. And so he will have deceived us. And the battle of the mind will have been lost. The mind, friends, is the focus of the spiritual battle. How does your mind work? For you or against you? Now, Paul recognizes the struggle for the mind. In writing to the Roman church, the church in Rome, he says this in chapter 7. When I want to do good, evil is there, right with me. In my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Writing to the Corinthian church, not in Rome, but in Corinth, he says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have power, God's weapons, divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments, we're in the realm of the mind, arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of good of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Do you see that? The battle's in the mind. But here's the amazing thing, okay? As Paul looks at the soldier and is inspired by the soldier and says, how do we stand firm in the Christian life when it comes to our mind? He does not offer us the, the helmet of the power of positive thinking. It's not just try harder. It's not just try and be positive. I mean, I love people who are positive, who are optimists, don't you? You know, it's always the glass half full, not half empty. I like people like that. I love it. But it is not the power of positive thinking that enables us to stand in the area of our mind in the spiritual battle. It is not the helmet of the power of positive thinking. It is the helmet of salvation. That is what helps us in our minds. The helmet of salvation. Now, salvation is either a term we're really familiar with if we're sort of a churchy person, or a term that we just don't ever use if we're not a churchy person. Because in society today, we don't really talk a lot about salvation. Do you know in the history of the church, probably from Abraham up until about the 1950s, the question on people's minds was, how, do I, how can I be saved? How can I be sure what's going to happen afterwards? 
But since the 1950s, with our technological progress and with all the, the extraordinary material wealth that we have in the West, our question has, been, has become, how can I do the best for me? How can I be satisfied with life? How can I, how can I find the right thing? How can I be comfortable? The question has shifted. After all, why would we need to be saved now? Tesco, Waitrose, Lidl have saved us from hunger. Interphones, digital codes, house alarms have saved us from insecurity. Bayer or Boots or pharmaceutical companies have saved us from illness. The mobile phone <laughs> has proved a good distraction. Netflix and Amazon have saved us from boredom. Well, almost. Why would we need a helmet of salvation anyway? And yet the truth is that deep down in our hearts, we know we need more. We know we need more. We need hope. We need help. And the Christian faith tells us that Jesus comes to save us. That is what his name means. Yahweh, which is the Hebrew name for the Lord, Yahweh saves. That's what Jesus' name means. He comes to rescue us from our addictions, rescue us from our depression, rescue us from our busyness. He comes to rescue us from, our, from death, from sickness, from sin, from separation, fear, from ourselves. Save us from our self-centered nature. Now, friends, here's the thing. All of those things I've just named, they all attack our mind. Have you not met, like me, people whose mind and thinking is dictated by fear? It's the mind. And the extraordinary thing is that Jesus Christ comes to free us. And as he does, he frees our minds. Friends, you know, don't you, that your thinking has also been affected by sin. That you can be incredibly sincere in your thinking and your rigorous intelligence and be wrong. And Christ comes and he frees us and he saves us. And the symbol of that in Paul's image is a helmet of salvation given to protect us. Now, let's just, let's just use our minds a little bit, shall we? Let's just think a very, very little bit about this. In Paul's thinking, salvation comes in three tenses. The first tense is the past tense, okay? We have it here in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, a verse many of you will know, for it is by grace that you have been saved. Past tense, yes? It has happened. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. In Christ, God has done a work which delivers me from all the things I've talked about and from the weight of them, from the consequences of them, from the penalty of sin. That's the way many theologians say. In the past, God has, God has dealt with the penalty of sin. He saved me. Which means that nothing Nothing that happens can change my status because it comes as a gift, okay? So salvation has happened. Those who trust in Jesus Christ have been saved, okay? 
But salvation also comes in a future tense. Listen to a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. He says, since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Because you see, there is a day when we will be fully saved and fully redeemed and fully freed from the presence of, of struggles and sin and pain and, and sadness. And every time we have a funeral, we step into the future and we say by faith, that Christ is about life and the promise of future glory. And so there is a sense in which we have been saved from the penalty of sin, but we will one day be saved from the presence of sin. But there's a third tense in, in, in salvation in Paul's thinking, and that is the present tense. The present tense. Listen to his letter to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, present tense, it is the power of God. So here's the thing, okay. As we walk our Christian walk, we have three aspects of salvation to protect us. First of all, the past. We have been saved, friends. The Lord Jesus turns to us and he comes and he saves us. And nothing we can do or not do will change that. It, it isn't, you see, our status as children of God is not dependent on how well we resist in the fight. We can fail at every temptation and still be saved. But we also know that one day we won't have to struggle anymore. And that the Christian has his focus fundamentally on the future when one day we will see everything that God has made us for. And all the potential in us will be revealed and the word in the New Testament for that is glory. We were made to shine out God's love and one day we will all do it perfectly in his presence. And in between the two, Jesus is doing something in our lives. He is saving us. That means he is rescuing us in the here and now and he asks us to work with him. Now let's come back to the mind. Every single time a little thought comes into your head or a temptation or your mind starts going elsewhere, it's a wonderful opportunity to cooperate with Christ and to let him save you. It isn't your eternal salvation that's in question. It's not your future promise but it's your ability to cooperate with him and work with him and be effective now in the present. And so the battle turns out to be an extraordinary opportunity. An opportunity to take every thought captive to Christ. So that, in the words of Paul in Romans, little by little by the Spirit, our minds are transformed. The transformation of your mind. So that little by little we think and we, when we, we, we sort of plow those lines, those furrows, so that the, the, the mindset of Christ becomes our mindset. Have in you, says Paul in writing to the Philippian church, the mindset of Jesus Christ. Past, future, present. We're given the helmet of salvation, friends, to protect us and to empower us 
with our minds. So that God progressively can give us a new mindset. Now that involves choosing. So let me just give five very quick thoughts, practically, about how you set your mind on Christ. And you put on your helmet of salvation. First thing, begin the day by focusing your mind. At the very beginning of the day, you focus your mind, you put on your helmet of salvation by giving thanks to God. Perhaps it's by listening to worship music. Perhaps it's by beginning the day with prayer. Secondly, you develop healthy habits of the mind. What habits do you have? Do they help you to think with the mind of Christ? Here are some healthy habits. Memorize scripture. Read the Bible regularly. At the same time each day, you're creating a rhythm. Pray for others and not just for yourself. Begin the day by focusing your mind. Develop healthy habits of the mind. Thirdly, regularly invite God to renew your mind. We said that our minds are fallen. We can be so convinced we're right and yet we're wrong. And inviting God regularly to challenge us and to renew us. And then building repentance, which is a change of mind, into our days and our regular habits is a way of allowing God to renew us. Fourthly, understand that the battle for the mind begins at the start. As soon as a little thought is placed in your mind that does not come from the Lord, that's the moment to take it captive. Don't wait, don't entertain it for a while. <clears throat> you know, it's like a little, a little weed which takes, it, it, the, the roots go down. The further the roots go down, the harder it is to, to bring it. But if as soon as it's there, you take it captive and you give it back to God and you remind yourself that you are his and that is the orientation of your life, the power is removed. The battle of the mind is won at the start when the first tempting thought comes. Right at the beginning. And then finally, be accountable. You know, it's so much easier to stand firm with our mind set on Christ when we know there are others supporting us. So if you know that you are fragile in your workplace because you have a colleague who just annoys you and you know that your, your temper is, you're gonna lose it because you always do. How about asking someone to pray for you for that? If your children, they just drive you around the bend and you're, you're, you're worried that you're gonna throw them against a wall one day, ask someone to pray for you. Okay, oh, that's my phone. So here's the amazing thing. We don't have to fear anything in the battle, you know. Everything's been done. And God gives us everything we need. And the helmet of salvation is such a wonderful thing because it protects our inner person. We've been saved. We will be saved. And today, here and now, Christ is working in you. And he asks you to say yes and to cooperate with him. And it's about the mind. And the more we train our minds, the more we become like Christ. And the more we radiate his love and his glory around us. And is that not what we want? So don't forget your helmet. 
Amen.